When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. Hello, I'm Niall. This is the Premier League podcast with a new show every single day of the season. It's Football Social Daily and today's top flight talking points include Everton putting an end to their garbage Goodison Park form whilst piling the misery on Southampton. The 1-0 victory last night sees Everton looking at the top four and Saints potentially at the bottom three. We'll pick the bones out of last night's action as well as looking ahead to this evening's Premier League offering as runaway leaders Manchester City entertain Wolves at the Etihad Stadium. No team has picked up more Premier League points against City in recent seasons than Wolves have, but can anyone stop Pep Guardiola's City right now? Joining me today on Football Social Daily to go through it all, we have Eminem. I don't mean the real Slim Shady, I mean Marley and Matt. How are we doing, lads? Yeah, not too bad, mate. I'm very good, thank you, mate. Good stuff, good stuff. Right, time to talk about last night's Premier League fixture. Everton 1, Southampton 0 at Goodison Park. It's fair to say, probably could have been more for Everton. They did have a goal disallowed, uh, a Michael Keane header, which was checked over for offside and given against Everton. So 1-0 it stayed. Southampton's best chance of the game coming from Musa Gineppo about 10 minutes from the end where he had a side-footed chance and he blazed it completely wide. And apart from that, uh, there wasn't really too much to speak about in the game at Goodison Park. But it was Richarlison with the opening goal and it was 1-0 the final score. That's 11 goals this season in total in all competitions for the Brazilian, but only his fifth in the Premier League. And I think three have come in the last three fixtures. Does that surprise you a little bit, Marley? Or do you think that's down to the form of Dominic Calvert-Lewin in the main, who statistically is the best non-penalty goal scorer in the league this season, whatever that means these days. Um, so if Richarlison can start adding more goals to his game, like in previous seasons, do you think that that could be a real benefit to Everton between now and the end of the season? Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm quite surprised he's only got five in the Premier League. Um, it feels like he's having a little bit of an off-season, but I thought he'd still have sort of eight or nine. But yeah, he's, um, he's, he's a bit slower than he has been in the last few seasons, but... I don't really know why that is. It's probably more to do with the fact that, as you say, Everton have got a proper striker up front now um, who, who's scoring the majority of the goals, as you would expect, and a few sort of goal-scoring midfielders as well, the likes of 
James Rodriguez um, has chipped in with a few already this season. Sigurdsson's chipped in with a few as well. Um, and even like Dakur is getting one or two as well. So it probably just shares the goals around a little bit more. Um, I think Richarlison as well is mm. probably um, a victim of maybe a bit, you know, a few systems, a few different play, um, playing styles that Ancelotti's put in to try and find the best out of everyone. Um, and he's played sort of on the left side of a front three. He's played in a, a, a four-five-one. I think at, at times when mm. um, Everton didn't have a striker early in the season, I think Calvert-Lewin was injured. They played with a false nine. Um, and it's just like slight slight differences to every system where Richarlison has to kind of slot in, and maybe he's thinking, maybe he's thinking too tactically, and, and you know, um, aware of his tactical responsibilities rather than going trying to get a goal for ninety minutes. Um, but he's yeah. still he's still a quality player and still a, a hell of a threat. And as you seen last night, that mm. that kind of goal is um, is brilliant for a winger to get because it shows that he knows where to run. Um, he shows that he's got that timing and link up with his um, with his teammates, and he, he finished it very nicely as well. Yeah, and you talk about that run that he made. It was very similar to the goal he scored against uh, Liverpool, actually. Kind of that sort of left to right angled run from the centre of the penalty area to the right hand side of the box opens up the angle. Um, and in this instance, he took the ball around the goalkeeper rather than just smashing it into the corner. So, you know, I definitely think that that's a, an element to his game which will please Ancelotti and Everton fans that he is capable of kind of being a little bit more dynamic through the middle as he is off the left or the right because we often do see him playing out wide I mean 11 goals last season Matt 12 the season before that as we say just five in the Premier League this campaign in in all fairness to Everton are they quite well stocked up front now considering the form of Calvert-Lewin it looks like he's going to be a shoe-in for the Euros if he continues his form um, do you think that the, the, the kind of any reinforcements that Everton need to make are probably further back rather than up front? I mean, I do think they've got plenty of good forwards. And if you go back to the beginning of the season, they were playing some really good football, especially going forward. Um, when James Rodriguez was in sort of his best form of the season, he's been a bit hit and miss. A couple of injuries, I suppose, has affected him really mm. from then onwards. But Everton started the season as this high-scoring team. looked like they could score against anyone. This new style of football that Ancelotti was playing, it looked like it was going to prove to be fruitful going forward for Everton. Now... In the last few weeks, not as many goals. You know, I think I had a look before. They're the second lowest scoring team in the top 10, which would surprise you and might be the reason really as to why Richarlison hasn't scored as many as you might think that he, ha- uh, that he would. Having said that, I would mm. say every team could use new additions going forward every single season. Everton especially, I think they're too reliant on, on Calvert-Lewin's goals. Um, I don't really know what other real goal scorer they've got. And you can't compete for Europe or towards the top of the table. I know they've not really got expectations of winning the league, but of the top four or the Europa League, mm. with just one guy scoring all your goals, with just Calvert-Lewin scoring all of your goals. Um, obviously, we mentioned Rich Allison. Usually, he's quite a good goal scorer. Usually does get to double figures in the Premier League and having a bit of an off-season, which is something you can't predict or account for prior to the season. Um, but he's still a talented footballer. We see that all the time. I really like Rich Allison. And he, he'll, he'll come back to his, mm. his normal ways, scoring goals and whatever you. Um, so I think Everton, it's a decision to be made. It depends how much money they have to spend. They spent a lot of money in the last transfer window. Um, and if they're going to go out and do that and bring in a bunch of new players again, then I would say, yeah, definitely go out and buy another player who you feel can get mm. you 10, 15, 20 goals in, in a, a Premier League season. Um, and maybe another winger, another, another good winger, whatever. If they're not going to do that like they did last transfer window, then yeah, I would focus more so defensively than going forward 
Well, it's interesting you talk about possible replacements for players and things like that because Gilfie Sigurdsson got the assist for Richarlison last night and he seems to have come alive again, Marley, after a dreadful season last season and I think most Everton fans would agree with me on that and they'll probably also agree when they say that when I say that they're probably quite unsure on him still because he can be quite hit and miss, Gilfie Sigurdsson. I mean, Hamas Rodriguez, as Matt's already touched upon, is always going to be a miss when he's not in the side and he keeps picking up these niggling injuries so that's when Sigurdsson tends to slide in there do you think Everton do still need an upgrade on Sigurdsson in that position um I think ideally you'd want a um you'd want a better player but it's hard for Everton because you like any player coming in you've got to either find a way of accommodating them in that first team when everyone's fit or you um or you convince them that you know they are going to be sat on the bench for a little while when James Rodriguez is um is fit and available. I think with Sigurdsson, there are there are games to play. There are plenty of appearance opportunities, as you've seen this season, because James Rodriguez's injury record isn't the best. Um, he keeps getting calf injuries, thigh injuries, hamstring, these these little knocks, um, and they keep him up for two or three weeks, and that's where Sigurdsson can, can come in. I think they've got a nice balance there right now because Sigurdsson knows when he comes in he has to play really well to potentially force James out of the team, and that's what he's got to be thinking. Like he's got to be thinking, I've got to get in the team with this guy, or or put him out of place when he does come back. Um, or on the other hand, he's got to be um, ready to to step in when Hammers isn't there. So I think they've got a, a nice balance going right now. I think Sigurdsson probably knows where he is in terms of the squad, but also he's um, he's playing well enough. I think he's he's still a threat from set pieces still a threat from long range he's never had too much pace so he's not like he relies on that um i think i think everyone knows he's is what his best position in in the in the system like a 4231 he'll play as the attacking midfielder um and that's i think he's just at a stage of his career where everyone knows what they're going to get from him and it's just how they use him but he could go somewhere else and play first team quite easily i think he could go to a bottom half premier league team and walk in there pretty pretty comfortably um, with what he's got. But I mean, yeah, Everton would like better players. And after after having a summer where they signed um, so well, they signed Hammers and Alan and Dakure. They're probably looking at a bigger name than Sigurdsson. Mm. But he cost know, them hard. fifty million, which is easy to forget because yeah. it's a couple of years on now. Yeah, he's uh, he was a hell of a price, wasn't he? Um, from uh, did they get him from Swansea? Was it Swansea? Was it Tottenham? I can't remember if it was Swansea was it Tottenham? or Tottenham. I don't know. I can't remember. I think it was Tottenham, weren't it? Um, mm. Anyway, it doesn't doesn't matter, does it? It's um, he's one of them where he he has been. He's probably just getting on a little bit. The people have taken for granted a little bit because he's not quite at that level where mm. he was one of the top players in the league at one point. Um, but yeah, fair enough. He's 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 good enough to be. He's a very good squad player. Um, for someone who's challenging for the top six, the top eight, that kind of thing. Um, so I, I would be happy to keep him um, if I was an Everton fan and let Hammers, you know, let Hammers play when he plays and when he's injured, you've got a, a very good backup there because it's better than relying on somebody who's uh, coming through from the youth team or, or someone that's coming in the summer that's clearly not as good as any of them. Uh, they did sign him from Swansea in 2017. He was at Tottenham was it, before that. He went back um, to Swansea then, yeah. Yeah, he had a loan at Swansea right. from Hoffenheim in 2012. Then he signed for Spurs off the back of that season. And then he signed for Swansea a couple of years later after that. Um, interestingly, he's 
a similar record at Everton to what he's got at Swansea. It's an interesting one with Sigurdsson because his numbers don't read too terribly, but I think Everton fans probably would have wanted a little bit more out of him considering the price that they did pay for him. Um, Michael Keane, as we said a moment ago, Matt, had a header ruled out for offside. It would have been the second goal of the game, Everton's second. Um, But he looked a threat from set pieces throughout the course of the game. He's actually having his best goal-scoring season from centre-back. Especially with the eye on the Euros coming up, is he in line, do you think, to be Gareth Southgate's first-choice centre-back for England for the Euros? I, I wouldn't have said he was Southgate's first choice. He's definitely in it with, has a shout of, um, of going, maybe being second or third choice. I think Harry Maguire has that first choice tied down. He's played OK for Manchester United, but fantastically for England. So he's kind of earned that role as England's first-choice centre-back, in my opinion. Um, then, having said that, John Stones is in the form of his life and that you just can't really overlook Stones at, the moment, at this moment in time. So I think Stones is going to be starting for England as well. So England, in my opinion, are actually blessed with talent at centre-back, even though it doesn't really feel like it. Um, See, I, I disagree with you there, because I think that it's England's weakest area, centre-back. I, I really do. I'm- I don't, know, I don't know what your take is on it, but I mean, I'm thinking here's the squad for the next international camp, which is the end of March. Mings, Keane, Maguire and Eric Dyer from Spurs. Not in the squad. Connor Cody, Joe Gomez is obviously injured and John Stones isn't in the squad. And obviously, like I say, he's in the form of his life. So like, if we're talking about who might go to the Euros, um, there's still like six or seven names to pick from there. But none of them are really, uh, apart from maybe stones at the moment none of them are really jumping out at me to say okay yeah. I, I, i'm comfortable with them defending against the world's uh, the europe's best if that makes sense yeah but i think i think actually we might both be right it could it could easily be england's um worst position that, that their least talented position on the pitch but also still quite a strong position england you have to remember have got a really good squad going into this euros the forwards are out of this world maybe better than they've ever been potentially we'll have to wait and see they're attacking midfielders with Grealish, Madison, um, Foden, Sancho. Again, unbelievable. The fullbacks, some of the best in the world. So I think at centre half, you look for England. You've got John Stones, as we just mentioned, form of his life. Harry Maguire has always done pretty well for England. Uh, Joe Gomez. I don't know if he's going to be back, but I'm a big fan of Joe Gomez. And, and if he is available, he should definitely go. He'd be a huge asset to them, especially alongside two slower centre halves in in Maguire and, and Stones. He could be really useful. Uh, and then you, you chuck in, like we said, Tyrone Mings, who's been playing great football for a couple of years, and Michael Keane, who's now in the, playing maybe the, the best football of his life as well, and who has always been a good centre-half. That, that's a really, really strong um, sum of players. That's a lot of good centre-halves that you, that you can choose from. So I think England are quite good at centre-back. They're quite strong at centre-back. And Michael Keane is up against a bit of competition uh, to get himself in that team, even to get himself in the squad, especially if Joe Gomez is fit. Yeah, I think Keane will go to the Euros. I can't see how Gareth Southgate will pick Gomez after like basically missing the whole season with injury. What's yeah. your um, view on the situation then, Marley? Am I being too harsh on England's defensive situation? Um, possibly. I think there's talent there. It's just we've not really sort of produced it for England, I don't think. Um, it just gives me the yeah. jitters. <laughs> Though even Stones, I don't know why, because he's been awesome this season, but in an England shirt, things do change. Like what Matt says, you know, Maguire's been good for England, but not as good for Manchester United. Um, but there's no guarantees that's going to be the case when the summer rolls around. Yeah, there's no, there's no good. That's, that's international football, though, isn't it? You know, you've got to get it right in a short space of time because there isn't a massive sort of 
bedding in period and a settling in period the, the players don't know each other as well especially in key positions where a partnership is crucial like centre back or, or centre midfield for example but yeah I think there is talent there I think the only issue would be if, if Southgate insists on this back three system I think then we're in trouble because I think you, you're shoehorning players into a system they don't really know yet and, they, and none of the teams um, who the centre backs we've talked about there none of them play with the back three so I think that's where the the issues come for me. Like, you know, you've only got Conor Cody who plays in a back three normally, and he's probably the the least talented of the centre backs that we've talked about before. Like, Mings, Keane, Maguire, Gomez, Stones—they're all they're all better than him. They're all better defenders than him. Um, but yeah, I think the like you know, the, the likelihood is that Stones and Maguire are going to be the, the first choice centre backs, and then you you are probably looking at Keane and Mings, but. I think there's a drop off between Keane and Mings and Maguire and to Maguire and Stones. I think Maguire and Stones are are comfortably better and Gomez as well when he's fit. But that that that's what a squad is, though, isn't it? You know, your squad can't be exactly sort of talented as each other. That you are going to have slightly weaker positions. But I think as long as you as long as you're organising, as long as you can get a system which is going to get the best out of what you've got, then then fair enough. Because one thing we're seeing this season is that. This, I mean, if England played a back three in the summer, I think you, it's just a recipe for disaster because no one plays that way in the in the Premier League. I don't think regularly enough to to have it um, be a strength for England in the summer. Mm, well, Chelsea do, but they haven't got any English defenders. Well, yeah, exactly. Centre back yeah. anymore these days. Um, I think Probably England's only next James game gets into that that England team if they do. So yeah, and even he can't get bloody he can't get Hudson Odoi out of the team every week. Indeed, and he's in the England squad actually for the next game. I think the camp begins on the 25th of March. San Marino are England's next opponents on the international stage. So if you concede Ooh, at centre-back against San Marino, I don't think you should go to the Euros. I think you give up your right to go to the Euros if you concede a goal to San Marino. Anyway, less on England and a little bit on Southampton, who were condemned to their eighth defeat in nine games last night in the Premier League. They drew the other um, since they beat Liverpool 1-0 ages ago now. They haven't won a Premier League game. They're on 30 points. There is a seven-point cushion to the bottom three, Matt. We said yesterday, though, on the podcast that their next two games are against Sheffield United and Manchester City. We pretty much wrote off the Man City game. They're not going to get anything out of that. So let's just focus on their next fixture, Sheffield United. Do you think that they might now be more worried about that trip to Bramall Lane with the form they're in? Because even though it looks likely that they will stay up, it's not a good position to be in going to bottom of the league in the worst form in the league. Yeah, and and, and Chef United, I mean, they're still rock bottom, but they have improved in the last sort of five, six, seven games. They have improved and um, picked up a few more points, playing a bit better football as well now, Sheffield United. So it's, it's not a foregone conclusion for Southampton by any means, and they're not playing the Sheffield United of the beginning of the season, who, you know, were just a walk in three points. Um, I think Southampton, y- you look at the season for them, you, you said they're on 30 points, they're almost definitely going to stay up. In fact, I would say they definitely are going to stay up because th- those bottom three have been so dire that it's unlikely that they can all, or any of them, can gain, say, seven-plus points on Southampton between now and the end of the season. Um, so Southampton, they're in a bit of a tough spot, I think. The trip to Bramall Lane is a tough game. If they lose that one, there's going to be serious questions asked because they've taken some thumpings this season as well. You look at the 9-0 against United, also a 9-0. I know it was last season against Leicester City, but it's not that common to lose 9-0, never mind twice in two seasons. Um, 
from recent memory, they, was, they got beat by Leeds, didn't they, quite comfortably the other week. So, I mean, they've taken some beatings this season, but then what were Southampton's expectations, would you say? Is, is staying up good enough for them? Is Hasenhutl expected to just keep them up each season? Are they good enough to push for the top half of the table, given how strong some of those teams up there are and the, the almost depth of strength that we have in the Premier League? We've got sort of nine or ten really good teams in the Premier League this season. So I think Southampton are exactly where they, where they belong at the moment. And should they stay up, that's probably sufficient for them this season. I think I'd agree with you, just because even though we've seen Southampton uh, actually play very well and get themselves into the top four, as we've said so many times on the show, they were top of the league at one point. And after that game where they went top of the table, Ralph Hasenhurtl said, anything is possible. Um, I'm not quite sure that he had <laughs> losing 9-0 again and not winning in nine Premier League games in mind, but he was right. And I guess in terms of consistency, something that Everton have been looking to get Marley is more consistency to try and get themselves into the top four. Well, with Southampton, you talk about peaks and troughs. They'll go on a winning run um, and look electric with Danny Ings banging in goals and then all of a sudden they'll lose eight in a row or whatever. Like, what's just happened now? Yeah, I think um, it's it's consistency is, is a thing for Southampton, you know. Um, Ings has gone quiet. They've started losing games um, in the last eight, eight, is it now, without a win? Um and I've, you know, I know what it's like to to support a team that hasn't won in eight games because we we went twelve earlier this season <laughs> without doing it. So, you know, um, having said that, they're not playing as bad as we were um, in that run. So I'd still be confident Southampton are going to be all right. But you know, you you look where they are on the table, and they're not. I I don't think they're as bad a team as Crystal Palace, or I think they're having a better season than Wolves. I think they should be above them and looking towards 11th or 12th as as the finishing position i think that's that's okay for southampton all things considered because you know ideally they would want to finish you know 9th 10th 8th uh, maybe if they can especially after coming off the back of a game where they were top of the league for a small um 2 hours or whatever it was 14 hours whatever it was <laughs> um and yeah it's a disappointment from that position but all things considered, at the start of the season, if you said Southampton, you know, you finished twelfth this season, they'd be like, oh yeah, okay, and then we'll go again next season. But the issue is, I think they're gonna lose. You know, they've lost what, haven't won in eight. They've had loads of injuries, and I think Danny Ings is probably thinking, now's my time out because um, he, he mentioned playing for a bigger club in the uh, sort of around December time, I think. Um, and Hasenhutl countered that really well by saying, well, if he scores us some more goals, um, we can get in the Champions League. And since then, it's aged like a fart in a lift, hasn't it? It's absolutely <laughs> shocking um, what's happened since then, because they've barely won a game. Ings might have scored maybe one or two goals since then. Um, and Southampton are 14th and only two points above <clears throat> Excuse me, above uh, Burnley. So, yeah, it's. Um, it, I think the summer could be problematic because I think Ings is probably thinking I'm... I'm 29. Um, I'm gonna go to anyone that wants me from that top six area. If if West Ham get in the Champions League, Danny Ings at West Ham would be be a great <laughs> a great fit. I think. Um, you know the fact that we've even said West Ham in the Champions League is is a crazy sentence to spit out, um, considering how West Ham have been in the last few years. But it's not an, it's not an impossibility. So, you know. It could it could happen, and but basically what I'm saying is Ings is probably going to leave this summer, and then they're even more screwed next year because then they've got to mm -hmm. replace the goals that he scored in the past two or three years, which is 
you know, talking you're talking somewhat like fifty, fifty, sixty goals. So yeah, um it's bad it's bad for Southampton now, but it's about to get a whole lot worse, lads. <laughs> well talking about going on runs of games without a win, today is actually the uh, eight year anniversary where Portsmouth ended their twenty three game run oh, <laughs> without a win in League One uh, back in twenty thirteen. <laughs> so I definitely know the pain. Uh, certainly do. Final score last night in the Premier League, Everton won Southampton nil. Keeps Everton within touching distance of the top four. But Carlo Ancelotti wants more than that. He says he wants them to actually touch it and get into the top four by overtaking some of their closest rivals which at the moment happen to be West Ham and Chelsea as for Southampton like Marley says only a couple of points above Burnley 30 points still not technically enough to be safe Um, they can still mathematically go down but it does look unlikely although a turgid end to the season for them still more Premier League action to discuss Manchester City against Wolves tonight at the Etihad we'll talk about it next here on Football Social Daily Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily from Sport Social, the Premier League podcast with a new episode every single day of the week right throughout the top flight season. And if you are a sports podcast creator, you have your own podcast, why not join the UK's only dedicated sports podcast network? We've just launched it and it's called the Sports Social Podcast Network. Funnily enough, you can get involved. Zero hosting fees for your podcast, a chance for you to help grow your podcast to a wider audience why not check out sport-social.co.uk for a little bit more information on that we'd love to have you on board come and join our stable of podcasts along with us here at football social daily premier league action tonight takes place at the etihad manchester city against wolves it's an 8 p.m kickoff Pep Guardiola, before the game, Matt, he was insistent in his press conference that with 36 points still to play for in the Premier League, the title or even European qualification is far from sewn up. He's probably right for every other club, apart from his own, because they are comfortably clear at the top of the Premier League. He is going to say that. Of course he is, because he's a football manager. But can you see any other outcome this season than Manchester City lifting the trophy? No, definitely not. I don't know why managers always say these things. It's like, do they think that we can't do the maths? Do they think that we can't see the table and just add it up ourselves? It's done. It, the, the season's <laughs> over. You don't win 20 games in a row and not win the league. And if you do win 20 games in a row and not win the league, then, I, well, yeah. I mean, weird things have happened, but it would be pretty unusual. Oh, yeah. Uh, I would say, in fact, if City don't win the league, Guardiola should get sacked. That, that would be what I would say. <laughs> Do you think it's superstition, though, Matt, that the why they say that? I know you're saying that it can't, we, they kind of take the press and you know the fans for fools by saying, oh, it's not done yet. I mean, effectively, City need 15 points from their next 13 games. And that's going off the fact that United, who are second, aren't going to win all of their matches that they've got. To me, it's a foregone conclusion. It sounds the same for you, and I'm sure Marley's probably in agreement as well. Is it just to kind of spare his blushes just in case something wild does actually happen and they don't win the league so that people can't kind of clip him up and make him into a meme by when he said, oh, we're going to win the league, it's a foregone conclusion, um, that he kind of doesn't get egg on his face come the end of it? Yeah, I think so. I think it's also uh, a man-management tactic. It's not really a saying for the media, it's more for his team in that if they get complacent and start playing worse football and dropping points, it's a mark against his name and not theirs because he's not kept them motivated. He's not kept them picking up results, even though the season is over, because they're a professional football team that get paid high salaries and you know they're all professional footballers. They have to keep playing 
as if there's something to play for every game. So I think it's more for his players than for us. But it does always make me chuckle when, when they say things like that because, I mean, the season is done. It's been done for a while now, I think. But like I said, 20, you, you don't win 20 games in a row and not win the league in any league in the entire world. So uh, I, th I think City will be okay. The, um, I mean, did you say they need 15 points from the next 36? I don't think that's uh, mathematically what it is. I think that they've got right. 36 points available to play for and effectively City need 15 points, basically. That's presuming that Manchester United don't go on a massive run and win all the rest of their games, in which case it'd be more difficult than that. But United have got some tough fixtures and kind of going off of the results that United have had, loads of nil-nils. I think they've scored just one goal against the top six or big six this season. So, you know, with those games still to play, it only really needs another three or four wins for Manchester City to kind of be uncatchable, let's just say. It's going to take something magnificent from Manchester United to even get close. Yeah, so, so I mean, when you when you listen to those numbers, that it's, it's a write-off, really. It's not not that we didn't know that anyway, but if when you put it into into the actual numbers, it's, it's as good as done, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, they can draw 10 and win one and lose one. And, they, you know, they can turn into Fulham all of a sudden and they'll still win the Premier League title. So, yeah, I certainly think that even though we've only just ticked over into March, it looks like Manchester City is their title to lose, that's for sure. Um, that being said, they've managed to go on this amazing run, Marley, without Sergio Aguero uh, and without Gabriel Jesus for a large part of it. Do you think we're starting to see Sergio Aguero getting closer to starting more games for the first time in a long while? He's been out for lots of different reasons. Um, Self-isolation, he actually then got coronavirus himself, different injuries, not scored a Premier League goal in a calendar year now, obviously for varying reasons for that too. Do you think it would be smart to start him tonight against Wolves if he is fit and maybe try and sharpen him up for the later stages of the Champions League? Because even though he won't admit it, Pep Guardiola, the league we know is, is pretty much done and dusted so the Champions League surely will be a, a large focus for City yeah I think Aguero well, he started at the weekend didn't he Aguero um, and he got through yeah. an hour so I think I probably wouldn't expect him to start tonight just because classic Pep Roulette um, doesn't like to, to start <laughs> to uh, you know players twice in a week if he can help it um, so I'd probably expect Jesus to start tonight um, but I'd still say Aguero will should see some pitch time, you know, you're talking half an hour at least, maybe, maybe even split it down the middle and play them in one half each because you have got important games coming up. I think a 2-0 lead um, over Munch and Gladbach is, is nice, um, a nice way of putting Aguero back into there and if he, um, you know, it's, it's, I mean, we're talking about him like he's a he's a young lad coming through and putting him on when, it, when a, game is, <laughs> uh, a game's done and dusted, but no, he's... Um, you know, he's he just needs a game where if he is a little bit off it, it doesn't really, it shouldn't really affect the the outcome of the game. So they've got games coming up where they can do that. I think tonight against Wolves, you probably go with Jesus, give him half an hour, and then maybe look to start him in the Champions League next week, um, and see just see how sharp he is, and just gradually bring that sharpness back. Because one thing Aguero suffered from in in recent years and in recent months is coming back too soon um, and pulling a hamstring or a calf or something like that and then spending another three weeks out or or what have you. So, um, yeah, just just be careful with him. Get it right. Um, you're in, you know, you've got a 12-point lead at the top of the league now. You're in no rush to, to rush anyone back. Um, so, and it's, you know, you're 20 games unbeaten and for, well, 20 straight wins and you've never... Um, you've never had a striker for most of that, so it's not like you're struggling without him. 
Um, you've got goals coming from everywhere. You've got De Bruyne back, so yeah, just be a bit bit responsible with him. Let him let him come back uh, in his own time, t- kind of thing, and uh, and carry on winning games and smashing everyone. Because Wolves, you know, I watched Wolves in ninety minutes of the weekend against Newcastle, and they were they were poor against us. So I can't see Wolves holding a candle at all to Man City tonight. Well, it's interesting you say that because no team's picked up more points against Man City in the last three seasons since Wolves were promoted back to the Premier League uh, than Wanderers have. They've got seven points against City in that time. Marley, you say you've seen them at the weekend and you're not convinced. What about you, Matt? Uh, Do you go along with the the fact that 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 record could be a good omen or is it somewhat irrelevant with how City are playing right now? It's not irrelevant. I mean... City can still lose a football game. They can still do that. They, can, they might not be able to lose the league title, but they can still lose a football game. Um, yeah. And Wolves have been improving, I think. It, it, we're starting to see more and more um, of the Wolves that we know and have known of the last few seasons, conceding less goals, picking up points, just getting it done, but not really looking flashy or fancy, but just getting those points and getting things done. They've done that in the last couple of weeks, really. They've been improving slightly. So I don't think it'll be an easy game for City. I mean, I, I, that might be the worst thing I've ever said. They could win... 4-0 for all we know, the way they've been playing. Um, but I think if we start to say with City that it's irrelevant for it to even consider the games because they're going to win, we're going to lose our minds with it. There's going to be no point in watching any football because you know mm. that's all there is to play for in a league season, really, is the league title. That's, that's the ultimate mm. goal. And City have got it done so early that, I mean, we're all going to become completely disinterested with Premier League football. So there's still a game to be played tonight. Wolves can still win, as you said, have got a good record against Manchester City and have been improving as of mm. late. So... It's not done as of yet. Let's just wait until the game actually finishes and see how it goes. Fingers crossed, Wolves can pull out a good performance. I think you summed that up really well, Matt. And I said this on the Premier League preview show on Saturday, where I just feel that because of what we saw two months ago around Christmas, um, where everyone was in with a shout of finishing in the top four and there was like a five-way race for the title... Um, you're talking about four or five different teams possibly um, winning the league and we've had so many different teams go top of the table this season to then six weeks later all of a sudden City are 10 points clear it's kind of turned what looked to be a really exciting season into a little bit of a damp squib not if you're a City fan obviously but kind of as a neutral where you don't know who was going to edge ahead in the race it's like kind of with a couple of um, furlongs to go a horse has kind of stretched its neck out and uh, ended up going a few lengths in front. So I do wonder what will happen between now and the end of the season because, as you say, I think that Manchester City are almost certain to win the league. From a Wolves perspective, like you say, Marley, you saw them against your side Newcastle at the weekend. They've claimed 20 points this season from losing positions. Only Manchester United have earned more from being behind in games. So from an attacking perspective, even though they've not scored that many goals without Raul Jimenez, who's still um, recovering from that fractured skull, albeit he's returned to training... Do you think Fabio Silva, along with Pedro Neto, who's kind of been the star, but Fabio Silva, do you think he's beginning to show some signs of why he was bought for such a large price tag? I think he's looked bright, brighter lately. You would have seen more of him in the game against Newcastle. Do, do you think that's a fair assessment? Has he finally started to bed in at Wolves? Um, I didn't see any signs of it because he, he was on the bench for 80 minutes of the weekend um, against Newcastle. So. Yeah. He came on and he, he had the chance at the end where Dubravka made an incredible save um, in the sort of ninety second minute. It was practically the last kick of the game almost. But no, I think um, I think Willian Jose is a little bit more of him and as his style um, than Fabio Silva. I think Silva 
Silva to me looks like a kid um, who has been thrown into a physical league and isn't quite getting up to the speed of it yet, um, which is easy to understand. It's it's hard to blame him for for not uh, settling in very sort of quickly. But I think he's he's got the he's almost got a bit of. Um, do you remember Ronaldo when he came to the Premier League and he was a bit skinny and a bit he hadn't sort of got into his man size yet kind of thing I think I see that a bit with Fabio Silva because he's got a big frame I think he's about 6 foot 1 but he's not Mm, he's only 18 isn't he yeah he's just not got that man weight yet he hasn't filled out into his body yet I don't think and when he does I think he's going to be very uh, physical and and happy to to get stuck into kind of thing but I feel like defenders are bullying him a little bit now, um, and that's hard as a as a kid coming into a league where, you know, everyone's got more experience than you in centre backs. You know, playing playing against like, I don't know, Jamal Lascelles who will who will kick you if you're better than him. Simple as that. Like, it's hard to to sort of use that physicality when um, when you're playing against defenders that've been around the block a few times. Um, so yeah, I think he he will come. I don't know if he'll come good for Wolves, but I think he'll he'll get better. Um, but until then, I think everyone's being judged on on uh, how they compared to Jimenez. Um, and Jimenez is obviously somebody who's pro- probably one of the top three or four strikers in the league when he's when he's fit and firing. So um, yeah, it's it's always it, there's always going to be a drop off for Wolves when when he's not in the team. But it's good to see him back in training, and and I think Nuno said he wants to see him. Um, come back before the end of the season which would be massive for for Wolves if they can do that Yeah absolutely well tough test for Wolves tonight in the Premier League a trip to the Etihad's never easy let alone when City are on a 20 game winning streak Man City versus Wolves 8pm tonight at the Etihad Stadium of course we'll have uh, match reports of that game live on our website sport-social.co.uk also on your smart speaker all you need to do is ask your device to open Sport Social and play the match report for your favourite team or play a news update for your favourite team and it'll be taken and you'll be taken straight there to the latest news for the club you support that's it for today's Football Social Daily thank you very much Marley thank you Matt cheers guys cheers pal don't forget to hit subscribe that way you won't miss a single episode of the podcast again and we'll catch you again soon here on Football Social Daily Football Social Daily from Sports Social find us on Twitter at the Sports Social Sports Social